Welcome to the Exploring Leadership Show, where we talk with some of the world's most forward-thinking, influential CEOs and other top business leaders to learn about leadership experiences and how they're building world-class organizations. Brought to you by Warrior Leadership. Now, here's your host, Spence Taylor. All right, welcome, welcome. I am so pleased today to welcome as my guest, Dr. Benjamin Ritter, founder of Live For Yourself Consulting. Uh, Dr. Ritter, thank you very much for joining me, especially today is uh, technically a holiday. It's Independence Day, July the 5th, but uh, as it's observed here in the United States, uh, we're recording this on a holiday, so you're making an extra sacrifice. I'm so pleased that you're joining me. Well, it is a holiday that's supposed to exemplify freedom, and this is freedom that we can work whenever we want to work. <laughs> I love your optimism. I, I think that that's a great way to go about it. And you're right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's something to, to laugh about, but it's also true. We have the benefit of doing that. So I love it. Well, so I'd love to just allow our guests the blessing of uh, getting to know you a bit. So would you mind sharing just some of the kind of highlights, headlines from your life that have brought you to where you are? And then we can kind of build from there. Yeah, I appreciate the chance for the introduction. So my doctorate's in organizational leadership. I have a background in leadership coaching and organizational development. And I entered this space mainly because I was a little, pretty much a values geek at the time and a healthcare executive that was really unhappy at work. I was trying to figure out why I was unhappy and realized that I was creating my own environment for myself and that the fact that I was living a life internally and externally that wasn't in alignment with who I was at my core, my values, led me to dive into, well, then how do I actually create this for myself moving forwards? And there's a bigger story than that because I was really unhappy, like I had two feet out the front door, uh, mm-hmm. really disappointed with my leadership, was resentful towards my organization, towards my work. It was just really created an environment that led to me being disengaged, to led to me being a huge cost and detriment to the organization. While they thought, though, that I was a high achiever, that I was a high performer, to the point where they did promote me into an executive level position. They did select me for 16 months of leadership training and coaching. And so it was a really interesting dichotomy of really highly valued, but really highly disengaged. And then using that environment and a background at the time in coaching and an interest in values to curate a job moving forwards and a career path that would allow me to prevent this for other people and to pursue my own passions and interests. That's incredible. I, a couple of things really struck me with your intro. One is you, you self-describe as, I think you use the phrase a values geek. Is that right? That is correct. I, I love talking about values. What, what is that? I mean, I, I, I can guess at it as far as just somebody who really has values as a core, like the importance of values and all that. But I mean, why do you use that particular phrase? Like what brought you to that? Some people might have heard of values. It might be just a, a word that people say about our, these are organizational values is what we stand for. What do you stand for? But I, I really do see values, which are the, the core attitudes and beliefs that we hold. And we could choose to learn other values. We could say, we don't, I don't like my values. I want to work towards integrating other values into my psyche, into my environment. But they really are. at like They are the true reason why you are happy or fulfilled. And, and I, I use happy with quotes because happy is an emotion, happy isn't sustainable for long term. But it is really where you derive meaning from your life. And you can wake up. And you could do anything at all. But if you feel that it is an application of your values, you could find meaning and fulfillment. So I tell people all the time, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be a coach for the rest of my life, 
but I know that coaching is an application of my values. But there are a lot of other things that I could do that are an application of similar value sets. And so as a values geek, I see them integrated through everything. Who you date, who you're friends with, the environments you live, the events you attend, the jobs that you choose to do, the work that you choose to do at your job, the way that you perceive the work that you do at your job, the people you interact with at your job, etc. And uh, what's really neat if you see values as this important is that it allows you to say yes to opportunities that may cause you a lot of distress in terms of decision making. Should I choose job job A? Should I choose job B? Should I choose to hang out with this friend? Should I choose not to be friends with this? But if you look at it as, okay, at this job, I get to apply the values of health, I get to apply the values of benevolence, I get to apply the values of trust. And at this job, oh, it's lacking all of that. Then now all of a sudden, it's not what I'm doing, it's how I'm doing it. And that's, I think, how we need to start looking at things. That's that's really beautiful. So as you're talking there, it, it made me think about uh, the sunk cost fallacy uh, in a business setting. You know, traditionally that is a company invests so much into a certain project or idea or technology, and they get so far in that it's like, well, we've invested so much in this, we can't back out now. Like we've got to keep going. The the uh, variant on or variation on that that I'm thinking about is uh, sometimes people get into a career so far. And feel like, well, I'm I'm already ten years in, like I'm halfway through. I've got to keep going, you know, kind of a, uh, an attitude. And they don't feel like they can they can change. The, the phrase you used that made me think about that is you said something about the work that we choose to do. Um, do you have any any words of counsel or or insight as to those leaders who uh, who may be kind of in a similar place to what you described at the very beginning that they might feel kind of stuck or, or or committed to the point where they really can't make a change. What would you say to that population? I love that you use the words choose to do. A lot of leaders I work with forget that. They forget that they are literally choosing how they work and how they think about their work on a daily basis. And this happens to, to almost everyone that I've ever engaged with as a potential client and client within my coaching practices they see there's option A and there's option B and they forget that there's actually an infinite amount of options for them to work any way that they want to and to show up any way that they want to. And instead, they just are reactive to the opportunities that come up to them, reactive to the work that's given to them, reactive to the people that come and approach them for conversations. And so if you're reactive to things, you really are giving up the majority of your power to create your job or to create the career that you want for yourself. And so if at your gut, you're telling yourself, this is something that isn't right for me, I want to do something else, I don't see the way to do it. The first step is to create some accountability for yourself, feel empowered to make some changes to to remind yourself that your choices brought you to where you are today, nothing else. And that you can choose to make other choices to bring you somewhere else. And that there are an infinite amount of opportunities in, like basically in front of you. And very often we limit what we think we can do be just based on our own perceptions and our own background experiences or just our limited scope of where we're at because, because we are limited by our beliefs and by our perceptions. So then to take some time and say, okay, if I had an infinite amount of opportunity, what could those opportunities be? Because very often people think they need to leave or they need to stay. Instead of, can I improve where I'm at? Can I add one little thing to make an adjustment right now that's going to lead to an exponential growth in the future? And as a, for example, if 
you know, for when I was working as a healthcare executive, I thought I wanted to go into professional development, talent development. My first choice wasn't to leave my job. My first choice was to go to, to my VP and, and go, I'm really interested in this type of work. Can I do some of it? Where are we doing it? What, what are our initiatives here? And that led me to working with corporate on some of these projects. And if we didn't get acquired for the second time, I might have ended up staying in healthcare for the rest of my career. Who, who knows? And so I think we need to first become accountable. Second, start looking at what opportunities are available to us and options are available to us. And if we don't know, start talking to some people, start engaging with individuals in this work that might also have a background similar to you and see how they've gotten there. Because then we start opening up our mind through conversation, through changing our environment, through intentionality. And that's at least where we can start. Hmm. That's, that's really great. I, I love that. The other key thing that you said that triggered, a, 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 I guess, a question in my mind or, or just maybe some elaboration from you uh, is just this, this bit about you being a high achiever, well, you being perceived as a high achiever, but in fact, not that you were a low achiever, but being miserable. Uh, so it, it's possible, I guess, for those listening, I'm just thinking about you might have people on your team that you think are are top-notch, like hyper-achievers and very loyal and long-term. I guess that's a, a key element that's that's so often a priority for organizations, especially today uh, in our environment where tenure continues to go down, average tenure in, in, a, in a role uh, or with an organization, I should say. Um, so how, how do you, if you're speaking to those top executives in companies, uh, how do they detect those situations or, or be mindful and aware of their people uh, and really truly getting a feel for where they are in terms of loyalty and, and connection to the organization rather than just kind of that surface level perception. Cause very often there's a gap, right? There, there's a difference between perception and reality. A huge part of it is having a baseline of what your employees, like how they act. And to have that baseline though, you need to have regular communication with them, which means if you're not doing weekly one-on-ones or at least bi-weekly one-on-ones, then you need to take a look at your processes and ask yourself really why you're not doing them because those are critical. If all you're communicating with your employee is what they need to do for work or getting an update on work, maybe you've talked you talk to them maybe once a month and you're just getting an update on, on what, they, what they've done, you don't have an opportunity to figure out where their values are actually aligning with their work and misaligning. You don't have an opportunity to figure out the work they love to do, the work they dislike, the people they like to work with, the people they don't like to work with, the issues that they're facing every single day, the solutions that they might have for their own style of work, for their professional growth and career trajectory. You have no idea what any of this stuff is going on if you can't have regular communication with your direct reports. And so if all you're doing is waiting to a performance review, then one, you're not going to know what their performance is like. So you're not going to give them a fair review of their performance. So then you're also going to create some dissonance between the relationship there. Um, and so, but if you were able to continuously have a conversation ongoing and you're keeping notes and you're following up on those notes, you can build a pretty trusting relationship with, with your direct reports and with your employees. And that, that relationship is critical to find out the other information that I spoke about, which was, you know, what's meaningful to them? What's their vision? What type of work do they love to do? What type of relationships do they enjoy, et cetera, what's the professional career path. And then to provide them feedback as well to ensure that they're improving as well as they also feel recognized. So it's all in all, long story short, communication is critical in terms of understanding where someone's at and where they're going. But if you don't have trust, the you're not going to get the communication. Hmm. So if you 
are able to keep a continuous conversation, then you kind of have a baseline of where someone is, you know what's going on. So when something changes, if they're not open about it, you'll you'll recognize it. And you'll be able to prompt them with specific coaching style, with a specific coaching style of conversation to help them become more open with you and help you then navigate to that employee to hopefully retain them or to help them move within the organization. Because losing an employee from your department is not the worst thing. Losing your employee from the organization is actually a huge cost. Hmm. I like how you emphasize yeah, the difference between those and that, uh, and even similar to what you talked about earlier with your situation, your first step was not to just have an immediate or take an immediate exit, but rather adapt and, and try to shape your environment first. So I, I like how you kind of uh, have articulated that now on both ends of that. Um, I guess that, uh, both from both roles, uh, vantage point of both roles. Um, I, I also love how you've talked about just the way you, you refer to one-on-ones, things like taking notes, following up. Uh, sometimes I'll encounter leaders. I'm a big fan of one-on-ones. Um, I'll encounter leaders who say, well, yeah, we do one-on-ones. Like when we, I pick up Jim from his house and we drive to work and that's our one-on-one or uh, we, we pass in the hall or we, we have coffee. Um, again, some of those things, of course, are still valuable. I'm not trying to downplay those but it's generally those things are not a one-on-one um at least in my definition of one you're, you're welcome to, to push back or speak to that if you'd like but i think doing one-on-ones right uh is different than just doing one-on-ones and checking the box and having that agenda like you said it's the processes in place and it doesn't have to be incredibly formal but it has to has to make sense where are you going with this information i was working with a, a senior leader he ended up becoming becoming basically the the head of an office unexpectedly due to some transitions. And we were working on his performance management system. And that's a one-on-one is basically performance management and kind of like formal talk because this is how you are understanding and managing your employees. And we were discussing how he does it. And he goes, oh, you know, I just talk to them and and that's it. You just check in with them and you keep notes. No, uh, do you know what their visions are and the long-term plans? I think I do. And I said, okay, so let's fill these out. And there was a lot of gaps in between of assumptions and actual knowledge, as well as no knowledge. And these gaps, though, were huge risk factors to his team and to his business. And he's like, oh, well, we really think she, this, this one employee is going to be like the future. She's going to take over like a major portion of the business. I'm a little concerned about what she thinks and how she's feeling. And I'm like, well, have you talked to her? Have you have you written any of this stuff down? What what have you speak, spoken to her previously? And so what we do is, we our memories are not that great. They're just they're not going to be great. And our memories are persuaded by our own assumptions and judgments and feelings. And so if we don't have real notes, if we don't have actual conversations in a safe space where we can really figure out the truth of information of our team, what they're feeling and what they're thinking, where they want to go, and then be able to reflect on that and read it and then sit with it. I mean, this doesn't take a lot of time, right? This happens in our subconscious. We're going to come up with the wrong information. But if we have that, a lot of really great things can happen for our team, a lot of really great connections. And ultimately, the organization is going to thrive because of it. Really powerful. I, I love it. Um, so the other phrase that you used in describing things here, just with this segment, is just continuous conversation. I, I love that idea of, of continuous conversation. Again, it's not a, it's time for your annual review or even, hey, we, you know, we have had zero communication in the last month, just this idea that there's really not a break in the, in the conversation, that it's ongoing, that there are uh, clear 
expectations, uh, things are aligned, we have action items on both ends, and just these types of things are part of that, uh, I guess, the substance of the conversation. Uh, I just think that's such an important element of, of that uh, that flow. Now, shifting gears a bit, I, I know that you, fairly early in your career, at least in, in this um, in the specific work you're doing now, you developed a, a fairly unique model um, called, you, you refer to it as the team model. I'd love to hear more about that and and just uh, let our audience benefit just from uh, from the wisdom behind that. You'll see a lot of interwoven frameworks. So like the three C's of self-leadership, clarity, confidence, control, the team model of managing to motivate, which is uh, trust environment, the actual work and meaning. And a lot of the theories are all interrelated. They're just kind of put in a different framework for the specific situation. And the team model of managing to motivate was created because I was asked to conduct a leadership training for a government organization. And at that point in my career, I did not have a full-fledged internal leadership training program. I was coaching executives, senior leaders. I was doing some individual workshops. And I was going to this office and they're like, can you do this? And I said, of course I can do it. Let me see the data that you have. Let's do a needs analysis. So we don't have time for that. Just just come and do a leadership training for us. I said, you know what? I can do this. I'm going to do it. And if you're, if you're in your, early in your career, if you're an executive exploring new opportunities, and you get a chance, one of the best pieces of advice I can tell you is sell it before you build it. Uh, it will save you so much time and energy and effort and stress. And that's what I did. I sold it before I built it. And then I went and built it based off of my doctoral research about um, everything that I learned over the years, my experience with the clients. And it, for me, it encompasses how we need to be having conversations with our employees, how we need to be crafting the, an environment that engages and motivates our teams. And it completely, it requires complete shift in how we perceive leadership or how most leaders perceive what leadership is. And so a huge portion initially before the model can even be accepted is going through how we define what a leader is. And in my mind, a leader is not someone that tells anyone to do anything. A leader is someone that creates an environment that motivates and engages their employees at an individual level, which is very different. Where your responsibility as a leader, in my mind, is not timesheets or billing or meetings. Of course, there's some strategic visioning aspect of it, but it really is to know your employees to the point where you can create and help adapt an environment around them from the work they're doing to how they work each and every single day to who they work with that engages and aligns with where they are at in their career. And to be able to do that, you need a model to be able to have conversations and need to know what's important. And so I'll pause for a second before going into the actual framework, but is there any, any questions on that? Any thoughts and comments? Well, I, I love it. I, I guess the, the question that I would have is just the, the trust element. Again, you, you talk about the importance of creating environment. I just, I think that trust, I'm sure that I would imagine at least without being too presumptuous that it, it was intentional uh, to have that first, um, just because it is that base that everything else is built upon. Um, and you talked even earlier in our conversation about if there's an app, the absence of trust, a lack of trust, uh, in the one-on-one example that the one-on-ones are probably not going to go very well. So anyway, I, just, I didn't know if maybe I would uh, be curious if there are any elaborations on the, where trust is especially important. Yeah. Trust is an entire series of episodes. I think we probably do an entire podcast here on the topic of trust. <laughs> sure. And I didn't realize when I was reading up and researching on psychological safety, which is basically trust, that it's a pretty new concept. It wasn't, it was coined, I mean, not too long ago in terms of like historical knowledge. 
And if you don't have it, if your employees are worried about their jobs on a daily basis, or something has happened with the organization, such as an acquisition or layoffs, or maybe something changed and they weren't communicated, you're going to have a big issue. Big, You're going to have a very tough time getting the most out of them. And so spending time building trust, at least on a level of where you are. So if I'm a, a leader, my direct reports is, is possible without having organizational trust. It's just going to be a little bit harder. And so to build that trust, though, that comes, it comes to that communication style that we mentioned. Are you transparent? Are you vulnerable? Are you having regular communication instead of more of a dictator style of communication? Are you providing various types of feedback? So future-oriented feedback that relates to their career success. Present-day feedback based on something they've currently done. Past-based, historical-based feedback based on just reflecting and highlighting some of their successes and strengths. If you're doing that, then you have curated a sense of trust with an individual and with an employee. And one of the best ways to curate that trust is just to follow up on the things you say you're going to follow up on. And very often that doesn't happen. An employee will come to you with the need and you will not follow up on it. And that will just completely sever the trust. Another portion of it is if the employee always has to come to you with a need. And so how are you being proactive as a leader to ensure that you're communicating and understanding and supporting them? And I know, again, this could be an entire series on how to do this. Well, one of the one example that, that I'd really like to really hone in on for a second is if you've ever been in trouble as a child and you had a parent yell your name out loud, your full name, right? It's your full name. So it's Benjamin Ritter. You know, I know that something's wrong. And so if you reflect on how you're communicating with your employees and you only tell them what to do or what they've done wrong, you are literally that parent yelling at the kid. And so think about how do you communicate? When do you communicate? Is it individualized? Are you present? Are you asking questions that relate to more than just tell me what you've done? Are you asking questions that are more personal and more professionally growth related, which we'll get into what those might be. Then we can say, okay, we've we've created some trust. And this isn't a lot of work. You're using literally the same amount of time that you're spending right now talking to your employees, but you're doing it in a different way. So I just like to throw that in. Even if you are adding one-to-ones, it's, I think that's like a, I mean, if you think about it, it's, if you really add up the time, it is like a 1% of your work year. If you, if it's like a 30 minute meeting. It's a uh, very, very powerful. And because I'm kind of a, I don't know, a geek about trust, uh, because it's such an important topic. Like you say, I, maybe I asked too much for this episode, but I'm so glad for what you shared. And maybe we have a follow-up at some point and, and dedicate an episode to it because I, I totally agree that it's so vital. And I just love the way that you've referred to it, those simple macro behaviors like following up and being proactive around the needs of your people rather than just waiting for them to come and ask. And the way you communicate uh, needs or, or uh, the whole full name <laughs> uh, example you used, I love that because I do think that a lot of leaders, maybe even subconsciously, slip into this place of, uh, or unintentionally, maybe I should say, uh, slip into a place of, of communicating that way. Um, anyway, so yeah, just lots of good stuff there and, and uh, action. There's power behind taking action on any, any one of those. And we didn't even mention it, but you can't ask people to trust you if you don't trust yourself. And mm. I'm in business because leaders don't trust themselves, because they're walking into work every day thinking they don't deserve to be a leader. And mm. That lack of confidence and self-belief is, is crushing and people can, can feel it. Hmm. And so your employees need you to trust yourself for them to trust you. 
if you don't trust yourself as a leader, if you just try believing in yourself because you know that you're there to support your teammates and your employees, that level of trust is going to be conveyed and going to change the game for you and your team. Hmm. So great. Yep. I think we could just end now if we wanted to and, and issue that as the challenge and people would be so much better off uh, in acting on that uh, element of self-trust and even myself. I mean, <laughs> thinking more about that, how it can make that deeper, the whole imposter syndrome comes up, comes into my mind uh, that so many people feel like, like you say, they don't deserve it or they're not qual- as qualified as their peer or you know, whatever other variations there may be of, of the, the narrative uh, inside our minds. But again, maybe that's it. That's a, another episode. Maybe we should just start a podcast about <laughs> about these topics. But anyway, funny, uh, really good stuff. Um, so we've got, we've kind of touched on trust. We've, we've uh, visited environment just briefly. Uh, love to continue if, if you have just the, I guess, a synopsis of the other two, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up so we don't keep you too long here. I'll make this quick, but I think environment, just to touch on it briefly again, because there's some components of it that some people don't fully think of initially. So of course you think about, okay, so where are they working and who are they working with? And now with everything shut down and some places are open, but employees were sent home without any training in terms of technology, Zoom, didn't have a camera, didn't have a microphone, didn't have a chair, didn't have a desk. And so you're having these employees, of course, they're going to become disengaged. Of course, they're going to become stressed out. And so where is your employee working? How are they working? Do they have pens? Do they have paper? Like something as simple as that. Do they need a stapler for something? I don't know if people need that anymore, but do they? That's really important. And we tend to forget that as leaders. So we have to really put ourselves in each of our employees' shoes and just try to envision it for a few minutes. And if you don't have that information, you need to go find it out. The other part of environment are the people that they're working with. So how do you communicate? How do you work together as a team? Who do they like working with? Who do they tend to struggle working with? And the same thing can go with their customers. What are the, who are the clients that they tend to really enjoy working with? And what are the client issues that they're facing on a constant basis? And can you help them solve those or improve them? That is part of their environment. And very often leaders tell someone how to work, where in this situation it's, how do you think we should work? How do you think we need to solve this issue? What resources do you need to help you on your job on a daily basis? I can't tell you a leader that I've ever started working with that asked their employees, do you have all the resources you need to do your job? What is, and I know you say yes, but what's one thing if you had it could really help you, even if it's something small and minuscule? Then how can I support you with it? So this merges right into the actual work. And so if you can have conversations with your employees about what work they really love to do, and from your own perspective, what work are they really good at? And what work do they struggle at? And at times, employees don't want to do the work that they're struggling at and don't want to do work that they don't enjoy. But sometimes they do. Sometimes they actually feel that that's a challenge and that's something that they want to learn. And as a leader, if you know that, you can start curating the work for that individual employee to help them feel like they're growing at their current job and also at the same time feel confident at the work that they're doing. And if at any point in time that individual is doing work that isn't suited to them for them, or work that they're trying to learn and aren't good at. This is really important for onboarding employees as well, or any employee that goes into a new role, a new manager. You need to provide consistent feedback for that type of work because they are sitting in a sea of discomfort. They're not believing in themselves. They're doubting if they're right for their role. They're doubting if the job is right for them. And this is, this, this is normal. This happens whenever someone does work that they're not good at. And then if you have to recognize that as a leader to be able to provide the support they need at that given point in time. 
and we can move in a meeting, but I'll pause because again, I feel like we're covering a lot of a lot of space right now. We're journeying. We're taking the journey. We are. Yeah, it's a it's a rich journey for sure. I'm, I'm taking lots of notes, and again, some of these may be follow ups for a, a potential uh, second conversation. <laughs> uh, but I, I just love. Uh, I guess, uh, there's so much implied action uh, that I I hope that listeners are keying in on something that they kind of in, inside their their heart they know okay I'm not doing great with that or here, here's something that I've been doing that I could adjust or you know th- those types of little you've you've referred it seems kind of on an ongoing basis in our conversation of to those micro behaviors those little little changes or little adjustments that can be made uh, to to really improve things so um, I'm, I'm just I guess that's what I'm eating up and I hope listeners are as well and I'm anxious to to address meaning and then hopefully you can share your wisdom in helping us uh, know exactly what the, what the most powerful action is if you had to just pick one that we could grab hold of and, and run with. So anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm just soaking it all up. It's fantastic. And the problem is, so I'll work with individuals that want to grow in their organization. So companies will pay me to help them become better leaders and to grow and maybe move up in the organization or just improve where they're at. As well as people will just you know, hire me to help them improve where they're at because they're in an executive level position and they, they feel like they're a little off or they've gotten there in a way that was didn't really feel right to them so they don't feel fully capable. So the leaders don't feel like leaders. But then I work with a section of my clients that are just trying to escape. They're trying to get out of where they're at because they're so unhappy and because their leadership is not actually utilizing these skills. And I, I'm just top of mind right now working with this incredible client he is just crushing it. And he's like an SVP of sales. He's leading a team. They're going to get purchased. And every time he tries to support his employees and actually utilize this framework, his leadership is roadblocking him. Hmm. And so this is very much an organizationally wide strategic movement of how we are going to just work with employees as talent development, talent management. And there are some things that you can do yourself as a leader. And there are some things that you try to solve for the organization, but sometimes you can't do that. So I just want to put it out there for anyone that is in that type of situation that it is very easy to internalize it and put pressure on yourself, make yourself feel bad for something not happening operationally. But you have to at the same time accept that there are certain things that you don't control. And so if you're serving your team, if you're doing everything you can to help them become and grow like better employees uh, and grow in their professional career, then you have to feel good about that effort and action. And one of the biggest pieces of why he's trying to escape is because he can't be transparent and vulnerable about what's going on because of some organizational changes. Because the solution to this would be, well, be transparent with your team. Be open about your team. Let them know what can change and what can't change and then work on solutions towards that. But then if you're within an organization that doesn't have that trust component where there is something going on behind the scenes, then that's where you see there's that dissonance and that roadblock and that dissatisfaction, the lack of fulfillment. Hopefully that adds a little bit of value for someone maybe going through that. Oh, I, I, I'm sure I'm certain it does. And I, I really hope that uh, either the CEOs who are listening or those who have the ear of the CEO will take note on this such an important point of organization-wide adoption, basically, uh, looking at it as a strategic move, rather than just, oh, that leader's doing something kind of different over there, let's let them do their thing. Like they need to have support. And, and it needs to be that uh, fully, you know, top down 
and across uh, integration in order to really pack the punch that it's intended to pack, I guess is maybe a way to say it, it sounds like. Yeah, very much so. And we can do a lot on our own, but a lot of times the culture of an organization can bleed in. And Mm -hmm. so despite all the things that you do as a leader, and you you may retain and engage your employees, but when they're looking to move, they're not going to look to move up in the organization. They're not going to look to move within. Yeah. Boy, such an important consideration uh, for sure. And just to look at those, I guess, to kind of build a profile around which leaders are fully on board with with change. And I'm sure there's, again, more conversation to be had maybe in another setting for that side as far as tracking how it's going and some of that. But we probably shouldn't go there quite yet uh, as, as we look to wrap up. But um, any any other, I guess, uh, did we miss anything? I don't know if we if you needed to talk more about meaning um, or any other elements before we, we kind of go to the action piece. Yeah, let's just wrap up meaning. Meaning was something that I I tended to actually misdefine in my youth, in my in my earlier days. Uh, I can still be youthful, and it was because I thought my organization was supposed to give me meaning. I thought my job was supposed to give me meaning, and I think we're taught that find a job that gives you meaning, go find your purpose, which is really misleading and can lead to being frustrated when you don't get it, when the job stops giving it to you, or you're in an organization and you don't feel it. Where meaning is an emotion, and so meaning, the majority of meaning is perceived, actually all of it is perceived, you can curate it based on your own actions, but it really is waking up and saying, this is what aligns with my values, this is why it aligns with my values, where I feel this is meaningful. And if you're walking into work and you're like, I don't feel this is meaningful anymore, pause and say, well, what do you feel is meaningful? And how can you start perceiving that from your environment? Or how can you start curating it? And as a leader, your job is to understand what each individual employee feels is meaningful. Some employees based in their career rank higher the extrinsic values. So they want money. They need money. And so if someone comes up to them and offers them more money, you're probably going to lose that employee. And you need to know that. Where What state are they in in terms of their need? Or why do they perceive money as so as incredibly important? And sometimes a conversation of, hey, you know, I was in your shoes one day and I had an opportunity to make three times as much or 30% more in a specific position, but it was in an organization that didn't offer me X, Y, and Z. And here, this is what we want to offer you in terms of professional growth and challenges and and I'm going to, we're going to, you know, so there's a certain, you can replace what someone believes is meaningful through a conversation because a lot of times people don't actually take the time to explore why they feel something is meaningful. And as a leader, you can't do that though, unless you actually spend the time asking those questions and really trying to figure out what it is someone really feels is important in their life and, their, and especially their professional career. Well, so I, I'm thinking about your book. Uh, I believe if I have it right, it's create a career you love. And a lot of the work you do is working with, I don't know if there's a particular niche of leader or type of person, but working with people to really make some of these transitions. Again, it might be those micro transitions within their organization and they can find it right where they are. Like maybe I'm being too presumptuous. You can correct me or making a, a more dramatic change. Uh, so is there one particular action step that uh, is most often, I guess, a beginning point uh, to start that journey of, uh, of making a change so that people can be in a career they love. There's this system called the three C's of self-leadership that I curated because it, I was working with clients for years and I was 
examining why certain clients achieved greater results than others. And I was using a framework at the time, uh, and some clients were able to adapt the framework and integrate into their life. Some clients weren't. And through some analysis, I found that there were three main pillars and components that someone had that led them to lead themselves forwards in life. And they were the three C's of self-leadership, so clarity, confidence, and control. And I'd say, so we don't have to get into a whole framework right now, the most important piece is clarity. The most important piece is understanding what is it that you love to do? Why do you love doing it? Why do you, you know, why do you wake up and go to work every single day? What's your vision in terms of what you want to achieve in your career? And very often as leaders, we forget that or we don't fully analyze it and try to understand it. Because without that information, nothing else we do is actually going to feel right. And I don't know about you, but I've been in my life, there were times where I was able to prioritize. I was able to control how, where I spent my time and how I spent it, super intentional. And I was really confident in what I was doing. And so I rushed ahead because I'm a high achiever. And I ended up somewhere I really didn't care about. Hmm. And if I paused and I really asked myself, okay, is this an application of my values? Do, what benefit am I gaining from this right now? And you don't have to know exactly what it is. But there has to be that initial piece of, this is why I care about it. This is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And that will lead us less astray. And I think other, other things that we could do in our life. Really, really magnificent. And I could ask more follow-up questions. I'm sure we could go for two hours if, if, you would, uh, <laughs> if we would allow ourselves. Uh, but I, I'll, I'll try to restrain myself uh, for this episode at least and just express gratitude truly. Uh, Dr. Ritter, this has been amazing. I've really benefited uh, personally from this, and I'm confident that uh, any anyone who's truly been listening to this episode has been able to take away probably not only one, but a, a whole set of uh, of action steps to take or things to look further into. Again, I would encourage them. I'm, I'm going to check out your book myself, uh, Create a Career Love, and I want to learn more about your models and, and details. So I would encourage them to do, to do that. And that brings me to my hope, probably final question, which is, how can people connect with you if they would like to learn more about uh, either coaching or just uh, get a copy of your book or just ask, ask a question, whatever it is, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah. And just to clarify, the Create a Career You Love is a free manual on the website. It's kind of a mini book on a okay. lot of the questions and things that we talked about today. So if you didn't catch everything, go grab that. It's right on my website. It'll pop up, throw your email in. There's also a little quiz there that you can fill out and I will do a personal analysis to see what area of self-leadership is holding you back. So that's kind of neat too. I just created that a couple weeks ago. And if you want to have a conversation with me, connect with me on LinkedIn. So that's Dr. Benjamin Ritter. And I realized I mentioned to go to my website, but I didn't give you my website. So go to liveforyourselfconsulting.com. Liveforyourselfconsulting.com. You can get to everything about me and the content I've created and the free download. Perfect. We will make sure to include those in the show notes as well. So it's easy for people to click to those different resources. And, and once again, just uh, so thankful that you spent this time with me today. Yeah, this was a blast. It was literally fireworks. No, no pun intended for the holiday that just passed. Thanks for having me. The, the best kind or the kind we get to make ourselves. <laughs> so, yeah, really appreciate it. Have a great one. You too. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Exploring Leadership Show. To receive a free company health assessment that clarifies your company's greatest strengths and biggest opportunities to improve, visit warriorslead.com. We'll see you next time.